right, folks, welcome back to the Rhode Island Right to Bear Arms Network. Uh, today, we'll be talking about magazine capacity and proposed legislative changes in the 2021 legislative session in Rhode Island. Welcome to the Rhode Island Right to Bear Arms Network, a show dedicated to gun rights in the state of Rhode Island. President of the Rowland Second Amendment Pack. So, uh, just a little bit about some of what our organizations do. Uh, also, the Federated Sportsmen, uh, Rhode Island Rifle and Revolver Association, the Rhode Island Second Amendment Coalition, and so all of those groups uh, are out there advocating for your gun rights. Uh, some folks lobby. The Rhode Island Second Amendment Coalition is 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 the, the the I guess the one that lobbies the most, spends the most amount of time up in the state house. Um, as David Eichland and I indicated, we both are registered lobbyists here in Rhode Island for the Rhode Island Fire Mourners League. And Brenda Jacob is the um, treasurer and the lobbyist for the Rhode Island Rifle and Revolver Association. She's also the president of the uh, Rhode Island Federated Sportsmen. So, uh, you know, we, we have a pretty good gauge as to what we think um, they're going to press for in these upcoming legislative sessions. And I, I thought I'd focus a little bit today, or actually entirely today, on the magazine restrictions that are being pushed so hard in the state of Rhode Island. I'll give my take on what I think will, will happen this legislative session regarding the push for uh, changes to our laws regarding magazine capacity and many other things as well. But, uh, you know, this is certainly a different year Um and the dynamics in terms of how we interact with legislators will be greatly different from in the past. And so things that have worked for us uh, might not be as effective, although there are other things we can do that, that are just as effective, just sort of retooling how we do that. And then, then, you know, certainly me giving some suggestions in terms of what I think that you should do as a gun owner in this state and or someone that owns a gun shop. So this will be a shorter podcast. The last one I know was, was a little bit on the long side. But this will be short. I'll try and keep it short and, and just specific to this topic. And again, what I think is going to be the big push in this uh, in this upcoming session. And, and, you know, it's certainly my opinion, but, you know, I say it's an informed opinion because I talk to a lot of legislators, all of us, all of the folks you know involved in these groups and not just the folks that are involved with gun organizations. But, you know, Rhode Island is a small state and that that, uh, you know, everybody knows everybody, you know, has some payoff there. I know usually we don't like to say that, you know. I know a guy kind of mentality in Rhode Island, but a lot of folks are close to their legislators, and, and so their legislators have conversations with them about about these bills. And, and so uh, I'll give you some thoughts in terms of where I think things are going. And before you know, I, I get into the nuts and bolts of what I think they're going to do, you know, a little bit about the election. Uh, you know, there were some plus, uh, uh, you know, positive things that happened, and then some certainly some negative. On the uh, you know, thankfully. Uh, we supported heavily the Republicans that are currently in the General Assembly, and every last one of them that we supported uh, and we donated money to uh, did very well. They won by large margins, larger than they have in the past in, in, a, in, a, in a presidential year, which is uh, not usually the case. Usually presidential year, they, they still get reelected, but it's tough for them. On uh, the off years, they typically do better, but they did very well. You know, you've a lot of folks like Tom Palino in the Senate um, won by a huge margin, 
Uh, it was very close last time. And if I would have picked a race that I thought maybe was uh, one that was going to be a tough race for us to win, um, that would have been it. And uh, actually, in that district, there are a lot of gun owners, um, a lot of clubs around that area. And he won by 300-plus uh, uh, margins. So against someone who had run against him in the past, uh, Senator Lane Morgan won by a huge margin in a, in a race where they had spent, the progressives spent a ton of money and time and, and uh, man and woman power on you know boots on the ground to take her out. So she won by a very large margin. Uh, Mike Chippendale did. So Jessica De La Cruz. So, so these folks are, are very pro 2A folks. We needed to get back in the General Assembly, and we did that. However, on the downside, there were a few Senate seats that we needed to pick up that we didn't. And, you know, those are districts that we need to focus on. And considering we do have lots of gun owners in those districts, um, you know, we need to focus and, and do a better job of getting those folks out to vote. But where we stand now, we've got a new speaker. I know a lot of folks have mentioned, you know, is he pro or asked the question, is he pro gun? Is he anti gun? You know, it's a different animal, you know. So we, we've, we've had conversations with him. I mean, he's, he certainly is, is not. Um, a rabidly anti-gun person. I know folks will make comments on social media whether he's you know for us or against us, and, and a lot of those things aren't very accurate. Um, we've had conversations with him naturally. He was a majority leader for a number of years, and you know there's a relationship there. It's not you know he's not a gun guy like Nick Mattiello was was a was a gun owner, so it's a little bit different. But he's also not a fan of of just sort of throwing anything at the wall and see what sticks and, and, you know, disregarding public input and things like that. So we're, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. I wouldn't commit to saying one way or another, whether we're better off or worse off because the dynamics are entirely different. So the progressives, you know, made some gains in some seats and others, they, they didn't. Uh, So at least on the house side, you know, we need to put pressure on our representatives so that they understand where we stand on these, on these bills. Uh, you know, a lot of these folks don't understand, and I'll talk about some of the things that you can do when you interact with legislators um, regarding what they may or may not know. And so I'll keep this podcast specific to gun magazine uh, capacity because that's going to be a huge push this year. And you can educate legislators. I can tell you what I, me interacting with legislators over the years and folks uh, running for office, I, um, I, I, there are a lot of misconceptions on their end. And so when you can maybe clear those up, you can pick off, you know, a couple of representatives and senators here that may not really understand the issue and then sort of come around on, on the issue of things like magazine capacity. Anyway, so as you folks know, magazine capacity was something that the anti-gun establishment has been pushing for in this state for, for a very long time. And, you know, that that's one of their, they, they always make a point to focus on three bills. I think that'll be different this year because they feel as though they have momentum. Uh, and so they'll probably push a lot more than just those three, but the magazine capacity for them is is the one that's that's a biggie, and you know you know what that means as far as your rights and and then to maybe put things in perspective or, or clear up some of the some of the what misconceptions what you might know or not know about these bills um, early on and they've you know they've submitted several iterations based on how they think they can get a bill passed so you know early on i don't remember the first couple of years they submitted it but it was it was a ban on any magazine that held a capacity more than 10 rounds um, any sort of shotgun that holds more than 5 and so near detachable magazines and fixed magazines i guess um, on, on shotguns so my point uh, semi automatic shotguns but um, for 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 the most part, they've gone back and forth between this this some iterations of these bills um, make it you know against the law to for the you know the further sale of those and 
you know, so folks that would, would you know, the term grandfathering, you know, comes up quite a bit. Um, that's been absent from most of the uh, versions of this bill over the last several years. Uh, so it ultimately amounts to you owning a magazine and that magazine now becoming illegal to possess. So it's not just the further purchase of those firearms So when or those, those magazines. So if you're a dealer, it means that anything that's you know, in stock at your shop is, is now a felony to possess. Um, if you own a firearm that holds 11 rounds, the magazine holds 11 rounds, it's a felony to possess that. And in some cases, that the penalty for it is, and again, it, it changes from year to year, so I'm not, sp- I'm not focusing specifically on any particular year, but the last few years, it's been you know like a five-year sentence with a up to five or ten thousand dollar fine. There are violent things you can do with a gun that have a lesser sentence than that. And the irony is that you know, and I understand that prosecuting criminals is is something that is very costly. And so to get criminals to plea bargain, I guess, to plea out to certain charges if they if we dismiss others. Like I get that's part of the process. But when it it all comes down to the fact that if you rob a liquor store with a firearm and it holds whatever the magic number is and now you've got a ban on that, um, you know, they're gonna plea bargain that 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 charge of having a magazine capacity above ten rounds and they're gonna plea bargain off the have not having a pistol permit or whatever, whatever those sort of ancillary charges are you know, in, 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 in return for that person pleading guilty to robbing a liquor store. But the irony is that, or I didn't say irony, the part that really sucks is that if you're a lawful, you know, law-abiding gun owner and you didn't know that there was a ban on magazines above 10 rounds and you're carrying that magazine that has 11, 12, 13 rounds uh, and that's all you've done wrong, there's a, there's a high likelihood that, that you're going to be prosecuted from beginning to end. Because at that point, there's nothing to plea bargain away, right? You've just simply broken one law. I had a friend of mine that got pulled over with an expired gun license, you know, 25 years ago. But that's all he had done wrong. And he was prosecuted for a felony and was convicted of a felony of carrying a firearm without without a permit because that's all he had done wrong. He was driving down 95 and he had a gun in the car. And, and so he's a convicted felon now. But if he had shot someone, right, or if he had used it in, in, a, in a violent crime, that charge of carrying a, a, a firearm or a pistol or a revolver without his license um, or on an expired license um, would likely have never even been an issue. They would have, you know, bargained, you know, pleb, there would have been some sort of plea deal uh, where he could, uh, you know, plead to some other charge and, and they would drop those charges. But anyway, my, my point here is that, you know, these things really don't focus on any sort of activity associated with criminal behavior. Um, it just creates something that makes folks, um, you know, unaware of the fact maybe that they are uh, breaking the law. And so, you know, not going from any specific year here because they've, they've had several different versions of this bill. Um, but I can probably, with a fair amount of uh, certainty, guess that the version they put forward this year will outlaw the possession of them. So you'll be required to destroy them, sell them out of state, or turn them over to the police. Um, if you own a gun shop, you're going to be stuck with inventory that you can't move. Uh, and in some cases, you know, for a lot of shops, that's quite a bit of uh, money invested in those things. Now, you know, all of us know that the capacity of a firearm, the interesting part is that, you know, it's really irrelevant in most of these mass shootings. And and when you look at the numbers of folks out there that lawfully own these things, it absolutely dwarfs the number of people that have taken those things and done something inappropriately. But as far as what you can do, and and again, I'll try and keep this podcast short, but um, as far as what you can do, uh, the biggest thing is you need to educate 
legislators uh, on what these things are. And, and I'll, I'll say, you know, we uh, folks poke fun at legislators sometimes online because they don't understand what these things mean. And that's all fine. I mean, it's fair game. If they're making comments about things when they're saying the AR-17 like Linda Finn does or the AK-27, um, you know, it's our job to edu- educate legislators on these things. And I can tell you from talking to folks, and it, it comes to mind, um, Dana, Dana G. ran for a Senate seat out here towards the East Greenwich, North Kingstown uh, District 2036. I don't remember the district, but um, I think 36. Um, so she uh, she ran for the Senate, and, and she was pro-2A, you know, and, and, and as far as, you know, conceptually agreeing with us on the, the issue of guns and that we're not the problem and that it needs to focus on criminals. And so she, she checks all the boxes, and, and you're a rational person, too, not, not sitting there, you know, and just sort of yesing me to death about what I want to hear. But, you know, she had actually asked me to sit down with her one day to go over some things about the gun bill so she was familiar with what the particulars were because you can get hung up on those things when you're in a debate with someone. And, and so we got to magazine capacity and I think that, you know, she just, she's never fired a gun before. doesn't own a gun. And so she was under the assumption that magazine capacity or magazines were, were, were something uh, ultimately like ammunition. So you go into a store, you purchase a magazine, that's, you know, you use that to, to go shoot with, and then you, you know, dispose of it. And so, um, you know, it didn't, even if, and I'm not saying she supported any kind of restriction, but even if she, let's say, restriction, you know, a, a certain person focused, you know, thought maybe a restriction was 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 um, not a bad idea, it makes it much more, I guess, feasible uh, or pragmatic when it's something that is not renewable, right? And so she wasn't aware of the fact that it was actually a part of the firearm and that that's just simply something that's reloaded with it. And we all know what magazines are. So, you know, it took that to educate her on this on this particular issue. Now, there, there, you know, certainly the anti-gunners that want to pass these bills could care less. It's a very attractive thing for them to get rammed through in the General Assembly. However, there are lots of fence sitters that, you know, there are some folks in the General Assembly that are not gun folks that are good people and they may be, you know, Democrats or they may be liberal or they could be a Republican that might not see, you know, a use for these types of things, but they may not support it because of the lack of pragmatism. And so that goes into this, the point that I think you need to make when you contact your legislators, because I will tell you that, and in the title of the podcast, you know, it was meant to sort of stir up, stir the pot, so to speak, because this is going to be a bill they push hard. And if we do nothing, I guarantee you it will pass. So when you communicate to legislators about why you, why you, uh, you're opposed to this, you know, if you're focused on the kind Constitution, you focus. Those things are not things that a lot of legislators really even understand. But what you can explain to them is that it's not pragmatic based on the fact that there are large numbers of people that own these things. Many times, similar to the bump stock bill, and, and the way the bump stock bill became law was because the General Assembly was under the impression that there was probably four dozen people that had these statewide. So, you know, whether that's right or wrong, and whether, you know, we're not necessarily, I'm not, I'm certainly not in favor of regulating things based on popular opinion and what we think it, effects it will have on the majority versus the minority, um, I, I, I certainly didn't agree with that bill. However, with magazine capacity, you're talking about most gun owners owning a gun that has a detachable magazine. And in this state, if you, if you, if you do the rough and dirty numbers based on what the ATF reports out in terms of gun sales, we're talking you know, prior to this COVID 
craze and in, in, in the riots and people purchasing firearms this last spring in droves in the summer and this winter. Um, prior to that, we were talking about a quarter of a million firearms in the last 10 years transferred in the state of Rhode Island. And the majority of those VS gun shop owners, they're going to tell you that they're semi-automatic firearms that take detachable magazines. We're talking two, three magazines per gun. So we're certainly exceeding a million of these things in the state. And I think legislators need to know that. The other piece is that Knowing the number of gun owners we have in the state, and quite frankly, if they don't show up at the state house and they don't contact their legislators, right? So that tells you that there's this, this piece of the iceberg that you don't see, and that's usually folks that just aren't all that informed about what's happening. Because if they were, we would have 10,000 folks showing up at the state house, 20,000, 30,000 folks showing up at the state house hemming and hawing over some of these proposals. The fact that we don't see that tells us that a lot of gun owners, and we know this because we, we, you know, when we go to different functions and we talk to people about firearms, they're unaware of the things that are going on. But it, it, it's, it, it's a testament to the fact that a lot of these folks don't know what's going on, so if they don't sit there and constantly uh, review legislative changes. Uh, you know, and, and We understand that it's important to understand the law, but when we're passing laws at lightning speed, um, you know, with the complexity, a lot of misconceptions about what these bans, you know, require folks to do, you're likely to see the majority of gun owners just simply not knowing that possessing one of these things is now against the law. A lot of gun owners do think that these bills in, include grandfathering clauses, or some folks, you know, seem to think that, you know, they, they, they have some sort of right to have this thing because it's like an ex post facto kind of, you know, I've heard that term and that's not really what it means, but folks seem to think that if they if they own it before the legislation, they're, they're, they're still good to go. So legislators need to know that. And, and I would focus on this idea and it's not the stretch. It's not stretching the truth. It's this idea that the majority of people will not know it's against the law. So it's, you know, rather than having legislators think that people are just thumbing their nose at the laws, I mean, they, they, they wouldn't, you know, probably sympathize for a lot of folks like that. But we've had senators and representatives that are not the most pro-gun folks in the world. Um, Senator Quezada said, you know, we're not looking to do anything that takes people's property away. So if she understands what this bill does and doesn't do, um, she likely not support it for her constituents get on her about this. So if you do interact with a legislator, which you absolutely should, um, you know, that legislator may ask you why you want to own, what, what, what do you need these things for? And I think you need to articulate to them you know, the reasons why. And, 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 you know, this idea of, you know, you talking about the Constitution and, and your, your property rights and things like that, um, you know, not likely to resonate with them. So, again, you focus on the facts. You focus on the fact that it's a part of the firearm. And so, in some cases, if the firearm doesn't, I mean, even having to go get a new firearm, you know, magazine, a magazine for that firearm, uh, you know, under this climate, uh, you can't even find 10 round magazines, let alone the, the, the standard capacity comes with the firearm. But, you know, to, to, to sort of um, focus on the, the constitutional aspect, it's just not something that legislate. They want a better answer than that, even though it's I mean, it's for me, it's it's a, it's the right answer. Um, a lot of folks don't see it that way. So, you know, in terms of defensive shooting, I think that's, you know, the focus. I don't think that you're going to explain to a legislator that you are entitled to having a magazine that holds 30 rounds so you can go uh, target shoot or so you can hunt an animal. However, you know, having a magazine capacity in a firearm that is maybe a little more anemic, like a, like a nine millimeter or any, any sort of handgun caliber, certainly 
and the AR-15, which is not a high-powered firearm. Um, you know, that these magazine capacities exist because of the fact that you're not, it's not a very uh, potent, uh, you know, efficient uh, cartridge, you know, in terms of using a defensive situation. We've also seen all these situations over this past summer with the rioting and looting in our own capital city, no less, um, where you've got multiple folks that are perpetrating some sort of, you know, act against someone, a violent act. And, and so certainly having more than 10 rounds, you know, the, I think that's all the justification you need when you point to situations like that. We've all heard the the rhetoric from the anti-gunners saying that, you know, you can hunt ducks with, you know, five rounds or it's limited to three rounds or whatever, whatever the magic number is. You can hunt deer with whatever the reduced capacity is. And yet there's no restriction on hunting, you know, and there's a picture of a, a child, which is just the most ridiculous thing, you know, so they're, they're, they're conflating two things, recreational activity with a firearm and public safety. It's not about that. And again, this summer has proven that, you know, these firearms that they've said we shouldn't be able to possess and within the capacities and, and, and you know, the capacities that they have is just been that that's been put to bed. It's been settled that these things are perfectly uh, acceptable to own for self-defense. Um, now, again, you may have a conversation with a legislator that doesn't necessarily agree with that. So then you focus on, again, the facts, and that is that these things are owned in very large numbers and that your neighbors and the folks that live in your city and town uh, aren't going to be aware of the fact that these magazines are now a felony to possess. You know, And across the board on, on the issue of magazine capacity, you know, they conflate a lot. The entire, uh, I guess, argument that we shouldn't have these things is really an argument why we should. And so yeah, that doesn't really make any sense. Uh, how do I word this differently? Uh, so so they focus traditionally on this idea that you would restrict these things for civilians, but law enforcement can still have them. And that exemption exists because of the fact that, you know, law enforcement have to go out and, and do things that sometimes could result in having to protect themselves. And so that likelihood that they have to defend themselves, uh, which, I mean, it's a higher likelihood than you or I, you know, average you know citizens, um, that that likelihood dictates the lethality of the firearm that you could have to protect yourself. So we can't have semi-automatic rifles or we can't have large capacity magazines because you're not likely to have to ever use it. And and so it's it's a bait and sweat. It's, 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 it's two issues that one has no bearing on the other. God forbid, I mean, thank God all of us that are civilians are likely to never have to use a firearm in self-defense. But and that's certainly changed more recently. But the odds have gotten much greater. But but the point is that you know, thankfully, you're not likely to ever have to use that. But God forbid it ever you know reaches that level. Um, you know, then it becomes just as serious as a situation where an officer has to defend himself. There's no there's no um, there's no difference. You know, if you're if you're take, if you take out a firearm to defend yourself against two people coming through the front door of your house. Um, and you've got a firearm that holds 10 rounds, you're certainly at a disadvantage there. If it's a police officer and he has 17 or 18, you know, he's got that advantage over you. Knowing in stressful situations, all of the things that they've said about these active shooter you know, scenarios where you've got a shooter, Jared Lee Loeffner was basically stopped when he went to reload the firearm and how you know that's all they want, um, simply to be able to stop an attacker. Well, the interesting part is that when you look at these mass shootings, right, and if folks have gotten up and testified against these things and said, oh, it's so easy to change a magazine. It is easy to change a magazine if you've trained to do that. But 
what folks are forgetting is that when you're in a situation where you're reacting to someone else, right, you don't have the, the, the you don't behave in the same way, right? When when you are the shooter, when Jared Lee Loughner decides to go and shoot, you know, in Arizona, the Gabby Gabby Lee Giffords, um, you know, when when he went into perpetrate that shooting like he knows exactly what he's going to do how he's going to do it for the most part and is probably going to know that he's got to reload at some point Um, if you're a person in your home and you've got a firearm in a safe and you hear something happen and you grab that firearm you may not grab an extra magazine or if even if you do have that extra magazine in a high you know adrenaline dump you may not remember you have that magazine so you know, again, when legislators, if they ask why you want to have this thing, well, you want to have it for the same reason that police officers have these things, how they function, right? Um, the the platform is centered around that capacity, right? So if it's a 9 millimeter firearm, it's got a certain capacity. Um, people have them in large numbers, aren't going to be aware of what the proposed law changes and probably won't comply with it out of ignorance. And and so I don't think a lot of legislators want to see that. And, and you know who those folks are. I think we know who the most anti-gun uh, legislators are, and you're not likely to have a conversation with them that's very productive about this. But if enough people put pressure on the folks that are sort of in the middle, uh, they will abandon those positions uh, when they realize that they're irrational. And, you know, the, the sort of willingness for some legislators to... Uh, pass laws that strip you of your personal property. It, it's I think things. I think most folks wouldn't agree with that, whether they're gun folks or not. And I can't imagine folks that aren't in the gun, you know, in in the gun scene in this state in the firearms um, community. Uh, I can't imagine them, you know, tuning into the podcast, no less going onto the pages of the folks, you know, the, of the various organizations. But uh, I, most of my neighbors, whether they're pro-gun or anti-gun, wouldn't support any sort of legislation that is going to uh, retroactively, or I assume retroactively, is that the word, um, something that's going to essentially make things that you were previously uh, legal to own now a felony to possess. And, you know, imagine if we applied that same standard to automobiles and saying, well, it's not compliant with, with um, you've got a classic car or whatever it is, and it doesn't have the emission standards that newer cars do, so we're going to take it from you or we're going to make you give it up. So, you know, what what often folks um, think is appropriate for firearms, uh, you know, whether it's possession of property, whether it's due process or whether it's an appeals process, um, these are things that some folks seem to think is okay when it comes to firearms, but when it comes to uh, other issues, uh, they certainly wouldn't accept that. So we need to let legislators know that. But anyway, to sort of wrap this up, um, so when this needs to happen, well, you know the General Assembly is, is going to be back in session uh, the first week in January. We'll see the committee uh, appointments um, in, in judiciary, and that's important that you know we have some folks on there that represent us. But um, we need to start emailing our legislators immediately. Start calling our legislators. You know, the other side is 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 certainly at a disadvantage because there are far fewer. Uh, folks that support these uh, ridiculous measures. They have, you know, at the state house, you see they have a half dozen to two dozen people show up and we have four or 5,000 people show up. Now, that doesn't mean that legislators don't listen to them because they, they those progressive folks are the ones that are the, the most aggressive when it comes uh, to election time and the amount of money they can raise and then dump into some of these races. So we need to counter that with showing them that we have we're we're the ones with the larger numbers and that can't happen if if folks don't reach out to the legislators. So starting now, we need to start sending a message to legislators at the state house, not only to not support these bills, but to not sponsor these bills and that we're going to watch carefully, you know, who's put, who puts their name on what so that 
come election time, you know, maybe we don't support some of these moderate Democrats that said they were on our side. There's going to be a push. We know this. And we know it's going to be a heavy, much harder than in the past, not simply because they they picked up a few seats here and there, um, but they've also, um, you know, they're counting on the fact that with COVID-19, uh, they can they can you know, give the illusion that they're much uh, larger in numbers than we are. If they have virtual hearings, which is something I've been hearing from from different legislators across the state, if they have virtual hearings on the gun issue, you know, we need to decide how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with that. Um, I, I, you know, I can't imagine a scenario where that would that would um, benefit us. I think the other side will astroturf like they normally do, so we'll get you know several dozen folks to go and log into. Uh, the Google Meet or whatever it is, a Zoom meeting that the legislature might have. And, you know, we'll have our folks sign in, but it, it, you know, God forbid, you know, thousands of people try and get into this. They may not stick around or certainly testify. So it may look as though the, the playing field is a little more even um, if, if they go to these virtual meetings. So, you know, we may decide, in fact, that we have to resort to uh, going to the state house, which is something that I've had a conversation with a few legislators already, and I'm certainly ready to do that. Um, where we decide we're going to turn out five or ten thousand people at the state house, regardless of whether they have hearings, you know, they allow us in hearings or not. Um, but that's a, that's a, that's a you know podcast for a, you know, another day. Um, so again. Um, you need to uh, get in touch with your legislators starting now, so that they're under the you know they they understand where you stand on these bills, and that we have you know lots of folks that are going to be affected by these things. Lastly, um, just a couple of quick uh, I guess housekeeping issues. So. In the past, we've used the text messaging system to reach out to folks um, where you text RI Gun Rights to 88202. That's RI Gun Rights to 88202. So if you're not familiar with that, you text that phrase, RI Gun Rights, to the number 88202. I'll post the details below, and we're going to likely be posting this all over social media. But that gives us the ability to reach out to folks in the event that there's a hearing at the state house or just something important uh, regarding your gun rights in Rhode Island. Um, we don't use it for any other reasons. So we don't send text messages out to solicit, you know, donations. We don't um, send out advertisements for any business or whatever, or even our organizations. So, you know, on a, on a bad legislative year, you might get four to five text messages. That's in an entire year. So it's not something that's been abused. And I've had uh, really no complaints from anyone. Uh, I had one guy that said I texted too late. It was like 6.15, 7.15. It was <laughs> whatever. But um, anyway, so if you can share that to folks on social media, um, you can share it, you know, your clubs. I'll, I'll post, again, a link below where you can enter that information. So uh, what we're doing is we're actually offering uh, a 300-round uh, pack of 9 millimeter as sort of like a giveaway for anyone that registers uh, by texting all right gun rights to 88202 um, and if you're already in the system I know some of you guys are already in this we've got quite a few folks um, I will um, I will include you in that giveaway so as long as you are registered in the system you as long as you put your, your phone number in there um, you don't have to put your name you can just put your phone number if you want I mean the more information we get the better but I get that so it's just a cell phone number and an email address, but it has to be a cell phone number in order to be eligible for the giveaway. And I will be doing that at the end of January. Um, again, it's 300 rounds of uh, Winchester white box, nine millimeter. And uh, I'll be uh, drawing from those names. So uh, do what you can to share this, share the podcast. I know it's not, you know, it's, it's not the best. It's specific to Rhode Island. I get that. And we're, we're going to expand and do some more things. Again, kind of sticking with the theme of Rhode Island because, um, 
you know, it's just hard to keep up with everything that's going on. But we will actually, I, I, I emailed um, one of the uh, folks from the state association down in Georgia to kind of get a gauge for what's going on down there in the Senate race, which is super important. And uh, so we'll expand the podcast to include other other topics, but usually how, you know, things that, that are going to be specific to the state around. So uh, share, share the podcast, share my link to uh, getting their number on our mobile service. And I'll see you next time. Take care.